Hey everybody, welcome back to the Convergence Podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. This is a space to think, to question, to doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We're so glad you're here. So this is our final convergence of the school year. As the school year winds down, many begin to ask questions about what's next. Even if you're not graduating, maybe you're wondering if you're in the right program or headed for the right career. How can we know? How can we discern God's will for our lives? Well, these questions that we wrestle with in one way or another, we we actually wrestle with most of our lives. But thankfully, there is a lot of wisdom from people who have gone before us who've wrestled with these same types of questions. So for our final convergence, Bob Osborne, our spiritual director, begins to unpack some wisdom about discernment. There's some really great and practical things here. And unlike our other events where we had a separate time for Q&A, here Bob took questions at the end of his talk. So stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoy. Here's Bob. Hey, everyone. Uh, Phil is passing out uh, four pages of dense verbiage, <laughs> um, which uh, I'm going to walk you through, but uh, you don't have to have your eyes glued to that. I'll just talk you through it, but I'll leave it with you as a resource. Um, these are mostly what you have on that page is what are called the the Ignatian rules of discernment, or what Ignatius called, and I'll talk, tell you about Ignatius tonight, the discerning of spirits, he called it. And this is a very old tradition, um, 450 years old, uh, Catholic, and I've done some deep and intensive study on this over the last few years. And so I'm going to talk us through the idea of discernment. So I just feel like tonight, almost, is just a, an introduction. It's like, um, I don't know, whose name can I use here? Well, Joe, Mary, meet discernment. Discernment, meet Joe, Mary, right? We're not going to get our minds around it. We can't actually get into the weeds or the nuances of this, but we can start to understand that there is such a thing as careful Christian reasoning, which is not simply rationality, but it is a reasoning of heart and mind, um, and later, maybe I'll say something like feeling and choice and mind in some kind of synthesis. And uh, it is a very powerful and beautiful thought to understand that there is a carefulness that we can approach decisions, both large and small. In fact, this all begins in, in the small things. Um, I think the marketing probably brought you in tonight. You know, come and find out your career, who you're going to marry, your kids' names, the house you're going to buy, your whole future. We'll map it out at Convergence tonight. Um, that's a little bit overselling. <laughs> you're going to be tremendously disappointed. You know, they overpromised and underdelivered tonight. Uh, but what we're going to do is sort of get our minds around this understanding of Discernment as a beautiful way, um, and, and, and that's the idea, way of being. Uh, it is not something that we can say we, we want discernment without discipleship, because discernment calls us into a deeper discipleship, and it's through that deeper discipleship we start to learn the ways of discernment. So it's not a pick and choose. Oh, I'd like to find out what God's will is for my life. Oh, okay, he told me, I don't think so, I'm out of here. Jesus always says, come and follow me, <laughs> right? And you'll find out. Um, there's always this invitation to discover at, in the journey with the Lord. So God has a purpose in the way things are set up. He's not trying to play difficult with you or, you know, trying to hide his plans from you. He's actually more like, and I was just looking at this the other day, the first steps that my oldest granddaughter took and she was about one, somewhere around there, I don't know, 11 months or 13 months or whatever it was, somewhere in there. And we were actually in Victoria with 
visiting my dad, so it would be her great-grandfather, and she's in the kitchen, and she, she takes her first long walk across the kitchen, right? And so we're calling her, and she's taking steps towards us. She's learning her own legs. She's, you know, but there's this beckoning, walk, take a step. This is the way of God with us. Learn to choose, learn to open up uh, to the way of life that God is beckoning us into. And uh, so God has a purpose in the way things are set up. It is to grow us up and to help us become and understand our uh, unique identity and calling. It really is for the purpose of maturity. So let me put a couple of texts on the screen that I love. Um, Psalm 32, 8 and 9 is really a life text for me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And you might hear in that language the way you should go, almost like, you know, the proverb uh, text, train up a child in the way that he or she should go, they should go. Um, it's, a, it's a carefulness of paying attention to the uniqueness of the individual. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Isn't beautiful words? Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So there's that positive side, and then that, you know, don't be stubborn. Get in sync. Participate, right? So discernment really is about our stepping into participation with God. Um, he will counsel us. Okay, if that's true, then let's get in sync with this way of being and learn our steps, Okay. Or this text out of Jeremiah 6.16, which is fascinating. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. And then I broke off that last piece, which is bizarre, right? But you said, we will not walk in it. <laughs> but, but look at the first part there. Stand, look. So it's about paying attention. Ask. Ask is repeated, right? Ask for the ancient past, ask where the good way is, and now start to walk in it, right? So there's this deep participation. There's this inquisitiveness. There's this desire uh, in, in the way of discernment. And then, of course, it, it really requires our, our willingness, <laughs> our openness to this way. So to think through all these things, I'm going to introduce you to Ignatius of Loyola. How many have heard of Ignatius? You've heard his name somewhere along the line. There's some Catholic high school somewhere or something. You've heard of Ignatius of Loyola. Um, here he is, fine-looking Spanish man who lived uh, 500 years ago. So this is a contemporary of Martin Luther. So we're talking at the end of the medieval age, you know, just as before the modern age starts to break open. So he really belongs to another era and it's his work that really set off this deeper paying attention to the soul. Ignatius really is, predates uh, our psychologist. If you think about Freud and the boys who start to come at the end of the 1800s, right? 1880s and 90s and whatever, modern psychology. We're going back into the church where the ways of caring for souls... And the practice of spiritual direction was in play for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so that gift of soul care belonged to the church. And maybe it started to fall out of practice. And the need for psychology became such a greater need to care for the inner life of people. I still think and I feel that this belongs properly to the church. Psychology is a tremendous gift. And and as a spiritual director, I want to work with psychologists. And there are times that I refer people to a psychologist or, or, or even a medical doctor. But they belong together. And the church should be the place of conversation about our inner life. So Ignatius really defines that way of being for a long time uh, before modern psychology starts. So there he is. He's born in a different world. Um, he really was a reflection of his era um, he was in love with the, the chivalrous. Um, I don't know, you, don't know if you guys have ever studied medieval literature or chivalry or the courtly life or the romantic uh, vision of, of the swordsman who would win his lady's love, right, and do heroic deeds and all that kind of thing. This was Ignatius. 
He was very much aware of how he dressed, cutting a dashing figure in his own time, right? He was in love with the whole chivalrous um, tradition. And so he was, a, he was a warring man. He would be part of the battles and the fights that would take place in those days. Um, and he was very much the gambler and the ladies' man and all that kind of thing. Up until age 30, and in a battle, a cannonball smashes through his leg, smashes it, and his leg has to be put back together. This is in the age before anesthetics. Now think about this, people. Maybe you don't want to think about it. Okay, just close your ears for a minute while I describe this. His leg is shattered. They put it back together. I mean, no anesthetics, right? But this is what whiskey is for, I think. This is what it was all about. Uh, So he's trying to hold on, and he's healing, and his leg heals wrongly. And in his vanity, he says, well, I guess I got to break it again and fix it again. And he does that. I mean, he's got to be a tough dude, but he's also incredibly vain, right? Because he's got a bone that's sticking sideways, I guess, out of his leg or something's going on there where he says he can't live with that. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he walked all over the Mediterranean world. (laughs) Think about that. This guy was a tough dude. So while his leg is mending, he's looking for something to read. And he is given two books. And in that world, you've got to understand, this is in the early days of the printing press. There's just not a lot to read around. He's looking for something on chivalry and the tales of the knights and whatever. He's given a life of Christ, not the gospel, but a compendium of the life of Christ, which was an old book or a popular book in, in those days, and a life of the saints. And so here he is mending, and he's starting to now think, and he was always a man who was filled with imagination, you know, thinking about <laughs> what heroic deed he could do or, or who he could become. And now his imagination is immersed in the life of Jesus as a singularly beautiful <laughs> and weighty life and the lives of the saints. Now, here's what Francis starts to do. He starts to imagine himself along with these beautiful models of life. Everything, actually, I, I'm, I'm quite struck by the power of models in our life. If, if Ignatius is influenced by his time, by the dominant images and values of his time, all of a sudden now through um, providence or an accident or however you want to describe the mystery of the cannonball coming through his leg and his convalescence, now all of a sudden he's given time to think along a different line toward a different end. And he imagines, he, he imagines this. He says, Francis, Francis, what a beautiful soul. I wonder if I lived like Francis did, if I could become the man Francis was. If I lived and followed that model, if I lived in his way, could I become something like him? His imagination is now in service of a different end. And he notices when he starts to think along this way that his feelings and his inner life find some kind of satisfaction, pleasure, some kind of inner sense of well-being and joy. And he notices when he goes back to imagining the life of gallantry and the chivalrous knight and war that it leaves him unsatisfied. And he starts to notice, and the the key line in, in the story of Ignatius is, his eyes were opened a little. For the first time, he's introduced to something called discernment where he notices his thoughts and what they produce in him. So he's not just looking at his thoughts, but where his thoughts draw him. Where, what the kind of feelings his thoughts produce in him. The kind of, where his thoughts lead him, okay? So uh, one of the things we're going to understand in, in, uh, in uh, Ignatius is a lot of what he talks about in terms of dis- discernment is, can you see this? Tell us. Can you see that word? Sort of? A little bit? Yeah. Okay. Can you see it in the back? Okay. Telos means end. It's a Greek word. End. 
or we could say purpose. Where's this going? There's a famous um, essay by C.S. Lewis called Meditation in a Tool Shed, where Lewis says he goes into a tool shed and he notices the beam of light coming in through the door. So he walks into the tool shed, it's dark, but he catches the beam of light coming in over the door and he's looking at the beam and he turns around and he looks back along the beam to where it comes from and he sees the sun. And then he says, it's one thing to look at the beam of light. It's another thing to look along the beam of light to where it's source. So the idea then is uh, not only was Ignatius noticing or taking, paying attention to his thoughts, he was noticing what his thoughts were producing in him, where they led. And this was the first time he starts to become aware of discernment. Uh, Fascinating to think about this, because a lot of our own contemporary life is activity and being distracted and filling up our time. The real question is, where are we going? (laughs) What am I becoming? If I live the way I'm living, where will I be in 10 years, 20 years? When I get to the end of my life, what will I have in my soul (laughs) uh, that has been produced or from the fruit of my life? It's one thing to look at life. It's another thing to look along life's direction. So this is really important uh, for the understanding of discernment. And I can tell my thought was, I need almost my phone, um, just so I have a sense of time. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Just so I know where I am, because I can already feel that I'm going to be too long tonight if I keep talking this way. Oh, I don't have it. I don't have my phone. Uh, just, just tell me when I'm done, Phil, okay? Oh, there's a clock right back there. Okay, so uh, this is the idea of paying attention. Here's the key to discernment then. Paying attention and noticing direction, right? Uh, Ignatius sets up a language of discernment in these two words, and we're going to review them tonight. Consolation and desolation. We're going to review them. It'll be in our our notes as we go. Console, to comfort, right? To embrace, to care, to love. All the beautiful ideas contained in console or consolation. Desolation, desolate, empty, right? Absent. So Ignatius notices these happenings within himself of thoughts and actions and choices that lead to consolation and thoughts and choices and actions and states of being that lead to desolation, emptiness. And he's paying attention to it. He's not looking directly at the thing itself, but where it goes. And this is Ignatius's genius, paying attention to life and where it's flowing to. So uh, discernment then is what Ignatius offers us. And uh, then uh, the spiritual exercises, which I want to put on the screen, is his great gift to the worldwide church. Uh, this is Um, the one that I use, which has a contemporary reading as as well as the older literal language. And it's not a book you would read so much as a manual that you would follow, uh, probably with a director who would lead you or guide you into reflections, uh, most likely in a retreat setting. And the standard Ignatian retreat is 30 days of silence. Boy, could you ever do that? So I've done twice, I've done the eight day. And let me tell you, it's quite an experience. So the first day I'm loving it. The second day I'm liking it. The third day I'm starting to hate it. And the fourth and fifth day I'm going through H-E double hockey sticks. And then I'm coming out somewhere at the end where I've just felt like I've heard and I've met with God. And I'm coming out of that eight days with a deep rest in my soul. It's a marvelous thing. 
to go into silence with a director to lead you through a deeper reflection on your life. Isn't it amazing that we would be so active to do so many things, but we've never actually stopped and asked for directions? (laughs) Where am I going? Where is this leading? What am I doing? What do I even want? And what does God want for me? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that we would be so much in a hurry that we'd never do such a thing. So, this, uh, the spiritual exercises really deals with this idea that life is more than just thinking. Uh, it is profoundly uh, a mixture of feeling and thinking and choosing. So I often do it this way. If I think of thinking or intellect, often when we're making choices, we're... we're we're trying to use our rational brain. And for most of us in modern culture, we're, we're accompanied or accustomed, I should say, to, to think, and even the word I'm using, <laughs> think, um, that rationality or smarts is the key. But over here we have feeling and emotion. And we tend to think, less well of emotion or feeling. We tend to think of it as not as, not as uh, important. Even in our constructs of faith, we'll say that feeling follows fact. I don't disagree with that, but um, we don't want to diminish feeling too much here. And then over here we have choice or will. And it's within this triangle, I think, that we have some sense of fullness about how decisions are made. Um, And Ignatius will really help us on the feeling side. So along with our critical thinking and our understanding of the world, um, we need help in our understanding the movements of our heart and our feelings in order to understand how choices are made. So... There is something here where we can say that we think our feelings and we feel our thoughts. (laughs) Why Why do you have the opinion that you do on issue X? Because it feels right. That's why we, sometimes we, we, we get very animated about certain ideas because we feel them, we're passionate about them. Uh, our choices are often thought, but our choices are also felt. So we, we get in this mixture of all this. What is a human person? How does a human person make their way forward? Uh, we simply have to take uh, real stock in the, the idea that our feelings matter. And even I'm going to draw on the board in just a minute um, a sort of an exercise where you, you might do your your pros and cons on an issue. But, you know, you do your pros and cons on something. You say, well, should I make this decision? And you'll lay out all the ideas that you have for why you should or shouldn't do something. But it'll come down to one thing that you deeply feel. (laughs) It'll come down there. Because I want to. Or because I'm excited about this. Whatever it is. So feeling is a really tremendous source of motive and impetus for the life of choice. Uh, this, this book then, The Exercises, is a, is a product of long reflection. So what I want to do now is I'm going to simply walk through, step by step, some ideas. First of all, on your paper, it has the principle and foundation. I'll put it on the screen here. Ignatius starts with this idea that God is love and God is created us in love and God is so radically for us in such a beautiful way. You'd have to follow his language. And he talks about these things, again, from the idea of telos. Okay, so the idea of the ultimate end of things. If this is God's big idea to make us in love and call us to himself then the end indeed is love and the attainment of God or the attainment of love 
the attainment of love or the attainment of God. And so here I am right now. Which path will I get there? <laughs> How will I go? Ignatius is suggesting um, there may be several options. You may go this way or you may go this way. And I don't mean this in terms of how we're saved, but I mean in terms of life choices. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a farmer. <laughs> Maybe all of those are good if the ultimate goal, the ultimate end purpose is God himself, love itself. This is how we make the best choices as Christians. What is the ultimate? So he says, our only desire and our one choice should be this, I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. That's the choice mechanism now by which we sort out. Are you called to be a fireman or a farmer or a teacher? It's your particular interest and how God has set up your life and how you see your life unfolding. But no matter what the vocation is, this is where it goes to or ought to go to for the disciple of Jesus. It's our one choice. Do you remember that uh, line by Soren Kierkegaard? Purity of heart is to will or to want one thing. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So uh, Ignatius is always drawing us to this ultimate idea. So that is the ordering principle of all choice. And then, uh, then he uh, recommends what he calls the examination of conscience. And what this is then is simply the the understanding of the various influences that come into the soul. So you'll see it there. He says, I propose, he says, that there are three basic places where my thoughts flow from. Those that properly belong to me and those which come from beyond me, which I would extend Ignatian's language to say it could be my culture or my subculture, my family or my peer group or whatever it is. But Ignatius says, ultimately from God or from the good, or from evil and that which is our opposition in life. And he says, these are the influences that come our way. And, uh, and therefore, uh, the practice, have you ever heard of the daily examine or examine as a prayer? Um, this is where Ignatius introduces this idea that constantly and repetitively, we should pause and remember our day or just the immediate time before to say, how have I been influenced over this last 24 hours? Where have my thoughts been going? How have I been moved emotionally? What's been going on in me? So we're learning to practice a reflective interior life. So after having said that, now I'm going to bring you to what are called the rules of discernment. And so there are 14 of them. And I'm going to march through them very quickly. Otherwise, we'll never get out of here. You're looking at me, Bob, how can you do that? I can do it. Watch this. Okay. <laughs> The first and second rules set up this idea of resistance and help. And here's what he says. He says, um, when we are caught up in a life of sin or closed off from God, the enemy of our soul will leave us alone. Well, that's interesting. He says, it is then that the spirit of God becomes our opposer. Well, that's interesting. So uh, there, then the second rule, he says, if we are living a Godward life, then the roles reverse. <laughs> the enemy of our souls becomes our opposer and God is our helper. So this is really interesting for understanding resistance and help in our life. And this takes discernment. So think of this uh, episode in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and his companions are trying to move into a new area to preach the gospel. And it says, the spirit of Jesus forbid them or stop them from going into that certain place. If we had no discernment, we'd say every resistance we meet must be the devil. We're going to blast them out of the way. Every time we meet a no or a hindrance or a stop or a wait, we'll just get on our knees and, you know, call on God to blast the devil out of the way, right? So discernment says, now hold on. <laughs> uh, there are times when God might just be saying, no, not that way. <laughs> and I knew this as a young man. I was 21 years of age. I was the end, end of my first stint in university. And I started to realize that my life needed to take a turn. And 
what happened was I entered into a period of desolation where interiorly I just was not at peace in myself. I just wasn't happy. It just wasn't working any longer for me. And I committed myself to a time of prayer and made a decision. And my whole being and countenance changed after I made the decision that I knew that I had to make. And what was going on for me, even though I didn't have the language at that time, was that God was just saying, Bob, no longer this way. I've got another path for you to go. Now, that has to be discerned. That's not true for all of us or in the same way. But it's a careful point of discernment to say, what is your hindrance and what is your help in this moment? Because God at times may say, not that way, I have another way for you. That's important to discern. Now, the next one. The third and fourth rules. The next slide. Uh, Talks about this idea of consolation and desolation. And this has to be worked through, what we're talking about. Consolation is not merely being happy. And desolation is not merely being sad or depressed. Because there is such a thing as genuine physical or mental depression. What we're talking about are spiritual realities. So what, what uh, Ignatius is doing is naming something of our heart condition that we go through. And, you know, it was only about five years ago I started into this journey. And I'd been a pastor for a long, long time. Probably, I don't know, I had been pastor for 35 years before I entered into study of Ignatius. And I didn't have language for this at the time. Even after all my experience and reading and pastoral life and discipleship, I'd never been able to, dis- to actually describe the movements of my soul. And here's what Ignatius is saying. There is a movement of our soul toward God. And when we are moving toward God, we are experiencing all the usual ways you might understand that of love, joy, and peace love towards others, sense of well-being, all of that, the fruitfulness of heart, right? All these dynamics that he characterizes, proper emotional life. We are mad at the things we should be mad at. Remember I talked about Jesus that way. We're sad at the things we ought to be sad at. We're properly balanced emotionally. That's the consoling work of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The opposite is desolation, the sense of, emptiness. And you could call it sadness, but it's more spiritual sadness. It's more spiritual depression, as it were. Um, That sense of dislocation, a disassociation. Something's not right. There's an emptiness there. Sometimes we refer to this as spiritual dryness. Okay? Or, where are you, God? (laughs) And when Ignatius is describing this, he's talking about what he himself is noticing in his own heart, but is true about every human heart. Uh, I remember C.S. Lewis was once asked, that he talked about sin, and, he, and they said, well, you must have done a lot of reading on that. And he said, no, I just looked in my own heart. <laughs> and, and so when Ignatius is naming this, he's saying, there is a movement in your heart. As August, Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. Uh, our hearts are always moving. So I often say, you know, the root word of emotion is that word motion. (laughs) We're always in movement, right? We're consoled, and then we find it leaking away, and we're disconsolate. And we're down, and then something picks us up. Well, what if we were to take notes on our happiness and our sadness? What if we were to notice what was going on there and actually pay attention and not just say we're merely subject to the whims of the world we live in or I don't know why I'm feeling this way. What if there were actual dynamics that we might start to pay attention to? So Ignatius in Rule 3 and 4 starts to name this as definitional conditions of the human soul. So let's look at Rules 5 through 8. And here he's saying, and all this is important for decision-making, because decision-making is not merely rationality in play. It's often feeling. Why might you then make a choice of the kind you make? Perhaps you made it out of desolation. (laughs) Perhaps you quit that job and moved on because you were just in a period of emptiness. 
So the first thing that Ignatius says, never make a major decision in desolation. When you are in a desolate state, and here's what he says, it's in the notes there. In a time of desolation, we should never make a significant life change or decision. We should instead remain where we are, steadfast in our previous commitments and decisions, which were made in good conscience before the experience of desolation. It is at this time we should recall our consolations. So he's saying, uh, if you're going to make a good decision, there's a context for doing it. (laughs) Maybe we need to talk to someone. Maybe we need to get some rest. Maybe we need to have sleep. Who knows? Uh, Or maybe it's a period of, uh, of renewing prayer. Who knows what it is? Or maybe if it's really a major life decision, maybe we need to take some time and find some uh, spiritual assistance. And this is what I say as a spiritual director, uh, that even though I live with myself, I can't know myself by myself. Isn't that strange? But I mean, there's this big cavern in me and I go, Bob, are you, you know, what's going on down there? And I don't know. I, I think I should know myself, but I need someone to help attend to me, to help me know me. So in desolation, it might not be the time to make those decisions. Maybe we need to talk to somebody or find a friend to pray with us or reflect with us. This is wise decision making. So in these rules here then, fifth through eighth rules, choose, when choosing isn't easy or clear, uh, what he says here is, uh, Ignatius says, we are to resist the desolation. We are, because it's a spiritually dangerous condition if we allow it to last for too long. It, start, it starts to become sort of habituated in us. So we are to push against desolation, that empty feeling. We are to go back to prayer or the practices that encourage us, our friendships or whatever it is, our reading or our rest or whatever it is. We are to resist desolation because it can be a wounding experience if we allow it to continue. Uh, And we are to know exactly what desolation feels like, which is very much like loneliness and emptiness. When you're in a period of desolation, you feel like you're the only one. (laughs) And nobody else knows how you feel. The truth is we all know what this feels like. And that's why life and faith is meant to be lived together in honest conversation. So we're to know what it feels like and we're to remember and persevere. And you can read uh, those, those notes there. Uh, so 9 through 14. And here's where we'll bring it to a close then. Um, the, these rules are all about, and I'm not doing justice to this because in some ways we're just doing an introduction to the idea that discernment is a beautiful practice way of being. But... The rules 9 through 14 are all about this deepening wisdom in us. And so here's the thing about discernment. At first in our young life and maybe even in our young faith life, there's this sense we're being led around. Just like a child is, is led, protected, given boundaries. In some sense, that's true at the beginning of the life of faith. I remember uh, talking to someone that I had baptized some years ago, he was just a new believer. He had been, ba- I baptized him and we were visiting together and I started, we were working on some project. I think he was helping me at my house. And I started to talk about, you know, the life of faith. And there were those times after the initial thrill <laughs> where we might actually encounter a valley or some difficulty or some discouragement. And he was dumbfounded at that. <laughs> because it was all so fresh and real. And as I described it to him, I said, um, you know, God protects us in some ways at the beginning, but then he allows us to feel things and and discover actually the boundaries and the dangers and what life is like without him. And we start to experience all of this. So the ninth rule is when you are in (laughs) a place of consolation, Ponder why those desolating moments have come. And think through your life. Why why might that have happened? Ignatius says you might not understand it. You might understand it. You might say, you know, I got lax, I got slack, I got busy, I got distracted. I've got to pay more attention to the cultivation of my soul and, and, and 
keeping fresh spiritually. He said, you might not understand it, but you will at least learn humility. <laughs> and that's gaining great spiritual ground if you gain humility. The 10th rule is build yourself up uh, when you are in a time of consolation. Seek inner resources to build yourself up. As, as Jude says in his little letter, uh, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Seek to understand your soul. Seek to, to know the ways of the heart. So that's the 10th rule. And I'm d- not doing justice because we're trying to get through here in a timely fashion. All right. The 11th rule, get in touch with your sacred story is what I call it. Um, I come to believe this as a very important understanding of life. I did a little series. Some of you were part of that, The Storied Life. And it's a very important principle for me that uh, you could say it this way, that um, a sacred story is a way to connect the dots. Uh, Alistair McIntyre is a, uh, is a theological ethicist who wrote a book called After Virtue. And he said something in that book um, that <laughs> is so important. Um, he said, when you know the story that you're a part of, when you know the story you're, you're a part of, you will know what to do. I know that's harder when you're younger because you're trying to figure out, well, what story am I part of? But what starts to happen when you have a con- sense of sacred story is you start to connect the dots and it starts to make sense. And that's why this option and this option are out of play because there starts to be this pattern and this direction in your life. It starts to be because you're starting to become aware of your story, you've reflected on it and you're starting to understand who you are your choices start to become clear because they're in a pattern, right? They're in a direction. The 12th rule, I just simply say we need courage. So there's a little book by Gordon Smith from Ambrose College, University, called Courage and Calling. And I love that title because once we get a hold of calling or have some sense of vocation, here's the critical factor. Do we have courage to step into it? So courage matters. Thirteenth rule, we practice the way of openness and disclosure and counsel. That's why spiritual direction. That's why friendship. That's why talking to somebody who can help you in mentorship. And we seek to know ourselves in the company of others. And finally, I just said, rule 14, we are only always and only human. <laughs> so we are full of inconsistencies and weaknesses. And uh, in the spiritual rules, we are allowed to do that. When we understand desolation and consolation, we never navigate these waters perfectly. But we understand the God of grace is helping us through all of this. So that's a little bit of a whirlwind tour. Here's what I'd like to do now in groups of three. And then I'd like to do this just for the next, say, 12 minutes or so, and then we'll come back in open conversation. I would like you to take some time to, say, to talk to each other. How does the language of consolation and desolation help you understand the dynamics of decision-making? I've just introduced it to you, but I, I said to you that it's, it's tough to make good choices in desolation, Right? And that there is a movement always of our soul. There's always a movement of our soul. So sometimes we're living, uh, have you had this experience? You're trying to make a decision and one moment you feel, oh yeah, that's it. And then the next minute you've turned the corner and you're heading in the other direction, right? You know this about yourself. I know this about myself. What is that? So talk with your friends in your little small group about how this language might Shed some light on your inner self and how you make decisions. And then what lights went on for you tonight? That's the second question. And the third question is, what questions are forming in you about discernment? So what I'd like you to do, just in a group of three or four, we don't want to let anybody excluded here, just have a little conversation about those three questions. And then in just a few minutes, we're going to have an open forum. Okay? Let's do it. Okay, everyone. We'll have some Q&A or some questions. 
you know, as I whistled through that material, and this, this was first prepared for a class that I actually had two hours to talk about this piece and a 12-hour course that I taught. So, you know, I tried to give you too much. I know that. But, you know, Joe Mary, meet discernment. Discernment meet Joe Mary. Um, there's just so much to say. I mean, the exercises are built on a platform of paying attention to the story of God in what are called four weeks. So the first week is God in his creation, his love for us. The second week is Jesus in his life. The third week is Jesus in his death and resurrection. And the fourth week is in the new life that Jesus brings. And then this, uh, this desire to attain the love of God or to enter into or to experience the love of God in its fullness. And so that sustained attention and prayers and meditations and scripture readings draws us into the divine story out of which all kinds of things start to happen in us. So when we're paying attention to the story of God, we are challenged, we are stirred in our imagination, and we hear the call of God. So the method is paying attention to the story of God, out of which our calling and our questions start to happen, and then the stuff of our life. So that's to be said. The other thing is, uh, Ignatius talked about three circumstances of making decisions. The first one when is, is when it's obvious. You know, the building's on fire. What should I do? Let's bow and pray. No, get out of here, right? It's obvious, okay? The second one is when there are choices. Do I choose option A or option B? That's a different circumstance. The third one is when there, no obvious decision can be made. It's a period of waiting. So there are times when we just circle around in the harbor before we can land our boat, right? We can't make the decision yet. But I've often used this illustration. Um, here I am. I come to this decision. Do I go left or right? I go right. Do I go left or right? I go left, right? All the way. And here I am now at this decision. And if you said, well, how do you get to make that decision? You have to go through the umpteen number of decisions at a time. That's why discernment starts in the small things, the small stuff. We don't get to choose <laughs> uh, big stuff until we are discerning and choosing wisely in small stuff, like how will I live this day? And how will I use this hour? And what is the purpose of this opportunity? And it's all in that small stuff that a life that is Godward starts to form. And then we are able, enabled through grace and the long journey to actually choose some, some bigger things in life, perhaps. Um, but it's a series of choices, right? It's how many choices do we make in a, in a life? Oh, we, too many to count, right? But in the small, in the small minutia of everyday life. Okay, just having said those things, is there any questions or comments or anything you want to say or ask? Um, and we'll just take these last 10, 12 minutes. Is that okay till 8.30? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want it on, Mike? Yeah. Sorry, Art, you got to come up, make yourself known. Let me see if I can get this uh, wrapped together in my yeah. brain. Words are hard to come by sometimes, right? So um, it's not necessarily the consolation versus the desolation that's the hard decision-making thing. I think sometimes when it's like, how do you choose between A and B when A and B are both good? Right, right. Maybe they are and leading they are. toward a greater life of God. You just know which one and which yeah. way, right? And to me, I think some of that potentially has to do with what our thinking and our theology of what God's will in our life is, right? So maybe you can address that portion of, you know, whatever God's will is. Yeah, you know, so I, I don't think of God's will as something that contravenes my deepest desire. I think of God's will as unlocking my deepest desire. I might not know that. <laughs> I might be fighting against it. But, you know, sometimes, I mean, when I grew up, 
It was like if God called you, he would send you to some place you didn't want to go. You know, that was the kind of thing. And that would be the will of God. Whatever you didn't want to do and, and hated, you know, that was it. And, you know, for me to be in pastoral ministry was an amazing thing. Because when I was growing up as a teenager, it was the last thing. But actually, it was the secret to my own heart. Because there was something where in my own satisfaction and self, I needed this. So, it is... So, without getting into the weeds on this, Ignatius talks so much about freedom and inner freedom. We might not know what our freedom is, but that's what God is calling us to. So, Art, to answer your question, I often ask people this, what do you want? <laughs> if you're confused, what is in your deepest desire? If, if you can, as best as you know, it's pleasing to God. As best as you can tell... Could it be that the Holy Spirit has planted that desire? Now, if, if it's not the work of God, as you move that towards that, or if it's not the will of God, he will guide you, right? God guides moving boats, <laughs> moving vehicles. He guides what's in motion. And so you start off towards the best that you know is pleasing to God and pleasing to your own heart. You pursue that. God has planted some kind of vision in you. It's attracted you. It's called you. You move toward it. And then God will guide you as you go. My dad always used to say, you know, uh, when we get in our car to drive at night, uh, the, the, the path to our home is not lit all the way. It's only lit a few hundred feet in front of the car, right? So you drive in the light that you have, as it were. So that's all we can do. We drive in what we know. We move into what we know and what we can see. And so the will of God unfolds and has shown us as we move through life. But... I often ask this to people, what do you want? It's a good place to start. Um, I think this has been a big theme recently, but uh, just in my life, but what does it look like to then take up your cross um, if, it's, um, if that feels like contrary to what we would like to do or is maybe taking up our cross part of the deepest fulfillment of who we are well if ignatius is talking this language you can know he was a man of the cross in the meditation of the exercises uh there's deep meditations of the life of christ and then the 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 experience uh, of participating and uh, uh understanding the cross and what it calls us to and ignatius himself was a man who suffered so <laughs> i mean this is the paradox right paul says this in in philippians 3 and i often think about this Paul talks about, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. It seems like power and suffering walk together. And where is that written in? In Philippians, where he mentions joy more than anything else. So it, it, we live in this paradoxical thing where um, it is not merely about going after what we want. It is uh, doing our best to perceive what God is calling us to and then letting him direct us in the movement. But you see, we can get paralyzed in this, in the will of God, where we say, until I know what I'm to do, I just sit here and do nothing until I have a sign in the sky or some direction. We move. And I think God directs moving uh, persons. And then that may lead us into difficulties and moments, but God will be with us to direct us there. This is why Psalm 23 to me is such a beautiful meditative experience that I've lived with for years. So it starts off with, he leads me into green pastures and beside quiet waters, right? He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the dark valley, right? But then it comes through that dark valley out where? Into the table spread before me, right? So there are those passages that are as you say, the cross, uh, the suffering, the difficult passage. In fact, I was going to tell you that as I have reviewed my story and I've done a lot of intensive work in terms of remembering my sacred story, I think there's probably four major desolating experiences in my life when I walked through deep desolation for a period of time. So we're not talking about that necessarily as spiritual failure. We're talking about it as uh, somehow in the movement of the soul and the experience of life, we are going to enter into those times. Um, and this is where in, in Psalm 23, where the language shifts from talking about God 
as the Lord is my shepherd in the, in the third person to even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Uh, the language becomes more personal and intimate. And I, I can tell you those desolating experiences, while I, at times there was filled with deep sadness or confusion, I also experienced some of the highest heights. <laughs> it says that in your notes in terms of uh, uh, if you endure and persevere in those desolations, sometimes you're very near a turn or a reversal. So the cross is that, isn't it, Logan? It's, it's the cross butts up against the resurrection. So these are the masterful ways of God. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I have a question about like, um, kind of like the idea of desolation. And like in the Old Testament, we see that idea of like the absence of God and the removal of his presence from his people, Israel. And how do we make sense of this in the context of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, and God is always with us? But that kind of idea of like desolation now, because we all feel it as Christians, we all go through those seasons. So how do we make sense of that? So Ignatius is, is really asking us to ponder our desolation. Um, if we're experiencing that, what are the reasons? And, the, and Ignatius says there can be several reasons here. One is our own neglect, right? Another is simply the mystery of how God draws us into his deeper life. So to say that, the Spirit is with us. Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you to the very ends of the age. We know that. But that doesn't mean we're always in the felt sense of God, right? And there have been enough stories, and you know this in your own story, that there are those seasons and moments when that felt presence of God withdraws, or I lose him myself. I don't know. But what does that do? This is not... God's necessarily God's punishment or anger. Sometimes it's his invitation to go deeper. And this was, you know, the insight of St. John of the Cross in his Dark Night of the Soul, that there were those disorienting experiences in life where we didn't understand, but somehow in the mystery of God, we are being drawn in deeper. And this is what Ignatius says in the rules, uh, which I didn't do very good in describing, but he says it there. Uh, that there is actually an opportunity to, to, for great spiritual advancement in the desolating experience. I mean, <laughs> Mother Teresa herself talked about this. This came out after her death, that she had lived in, in, for many years in a desolate experience. Um, she was a tremendous woman of faith who accomplished tremendous things in the kingdom of God. And she was, you'd have to say, a person of great faith, um, but it wasn't always the felt sense of God with her. So that's a mystery, I would say. You see, this is where we can get very cruel with people. <laughs> um, if you're going through that dry period, the thing is for self-examination. Have I given up on my spiritual practice? Is this from neglect? Okay, let's say it's not. Well, what are you being invited into then? What is the mercy of God calling you into? Do you think... Uh, God has good purpose for these things? I think he does. And sometimes it's for a strengthening of faith in some, in some way, even if it is uh, to understand humility and how to help others. So when I look back at my own desolating experiences, I know that they produce something in me. And I can tell you some of the experiences I had in the middle of the desolation that were amazing and that helped me now as a helper of others to be present to them. If my life just skipped along merrily, <laughs> I'd probably be a proud, arrogant guy, right? And you wouldn't want to talk to me. But because I've had those experiences where I lost something, lost touch with God, or made bad decisions, or felt empty, um, you know, this is where we minister out of. We minister out of our weaknesses and our wounds, and this is how we're attached to each other. So Ignatius wants us to ponder those things. Is there a precipitating reason? If you can discern it, great. You might discern it. If not, then allow the mystery of God to be with you, to call you deeper. Um, and I think the saints and the, and the wise fathers and mothers in the faith have, have, have shown us this. So I don't know if that answers, Sierra, but yeah. Yeah. 
It's a mystery. It's not all one thing. Life is not all one thing. That's what you have to understand. There are seasons of the soul. There are different experiences you're going to walk through. Thank you.